thing about that turkey business, you know, first of all, there are vegetarians. There are even vegetarians who are in need of food. And, uh, and it's funny how the turkey has become so sort of fundamental to Thanksgiving. I found a photograph this week uh, in an old, old album. Old, old, because I, I in the photograph must be seven or eight years old, so it's an old photograph. It's a black and white little photograph of my family at a dinner table, at our dinner table in the dining room with my parents and my aunt and her then new husband and uh, three of my four grandparents. One of my grandfathers had died by that time. My, my, my grandparents were uh, relatively new immigrants to the United States. They didn't speak English. And so here they are with my parents at a dining room table in Brooklyn with me. And we've got this big turkey in the middle of the table. And, I, and it's so sweet because they have nothing to do with pilgrims. You know, they, they, they were so recently come to the United States. They're the opposite, absolute opposite to the Mayflower and who came. But it's become so paramount on Thanksgiving. You have a turkey if you eat turkey. <laughs> And this is the first time in something like 60,000 years that uh, tonight is the first night of Hanukkah, tomorrow is the first day of Hanukkah. And uh, it, the next time that Hanukkah falls on Thanksgiving will be 78,000 years from now. So uh, it's unlikely that we'll be there to talk about it. At, uh, but uh, it's also... Uh, you. Is that going? Okay. That's okay, because I want to talk about... I, I was thinking about the fact that it was Thanksgiving, and I was thinking about talking about the value of saying thank you. I had an email earlier this week from um, a friend of mine who was saying, uh, musing on in her email, it's not a person who lives locally, and she said, you know, I'm struggling. This is my time of year to struggle. It's pretty blue. It's dark. And I'm one of those people who get gloomy in the dark time of year. I asked last time, uh, how many people here get a little gloomier this time of year? People get gloomier. There's a very big, I think, good business in those lights that people have that they put in the house. But even so, people know, light or no light, they know uh, I'm one of those people who gets gloomier. A friend said, this is my gloomier time of year. She said, so... Uh, I'm trying to remember that I really gratitude is what keeps the, the soul afloat. She said, but sometimes I don't feel so grateful because I'm not, certainly not grateful for this gloom. She said, but I think to myself, uh, I'm grateful that I'm alive. She said, don't you think that's a good thing to think about? You know, that, and I thought that's so sweet to say. I mean, she said, that's what's left. I'm glad I'm alive. But to thank means not only to be alive, but to remember that we are alive in relationship. And I was thinking about thanking and uh, that one of the things I like about Thanksgiving particularly is that you don't, the only ritual is eating together, never mind even eating the turkey. But when people think about because you could eat something else, but people eat together on Thanksgiving. Uh, tomorrow here at Spirit Rock on the retreat, they will have mashed potatoes and stuffing and yams and uh, greens and salad and four or five different pies. They just won't have a turkey. But they'll have all the things that you come to associate with turkeys. You don't have to have stuffing, I mean, it's, but you do. They'll have mushroom stuffing. And 
Actually, often they put it into a huge uh, pumpkin or other kind of uh, gourd or big squash that they hollow out so it gets served and it's full of stuffing. And the thing that's different about it is that uh, people file by the, the, the table and help themselves to the food as they do normally for all the meals. But uh, normally they help themselves to the food and tomorrow behind the table Behind each dish, there will be um, either a staff member or a teacher serving them the food. In the tradition, um, in the Theravada tradition, people who get served are, are uh, ordained monastics. So that on a retreat here, if there are, are ordained monastics, they come with their bowl and somebody puts the food in. One of the rules about uh, ordination in the Theravada tradition is you don't help yourself to anything. You get given things. So uh, honoring people to be not monastics, but to be people really seriously engaged in this process of self-examination and transformation and purification of the heart, we behave as if they are as holy to us as monastics who have taken a vow to do that with their life. And we serve. And uh, I don't know whether I'll be here tomorrow for that line, but when I taught on Thanksgiving, which was many, many, many years ago, and got to stand in that line for many years, and my grandchildren on either side of me often serving, uh, everybody cries. The people going by cry, and the people serving cry, because it's so beautiful to serve each other a beautiful meal, that nothing suffered as a result of getting prepared. So it's a beautiful ritual of honoring whatever gets served when we serve other people. A friend of mine just came home from a, 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 a visiting a friend of his who was a tennis uh, pro, and he said, I saw in his house a, a a tray that I have to get as presents for my tennis playing friends. It says it is better to uh, it's better to receive than to serve. <laughs> <laughs> or it's better to serve than to receive, one way or the other. But I think actually in tennis it's better to serve than to receive. But but in life it's it's it works both ways, and I think it works both ways because. Whatever side of that you're on, there's a connection and there's something happening. And the only thing that's true about thanking that's not, I thought about this yesterday, I tried to think of a way in which you would thank yourself. And they're just, I couldn't think of one that was at all natural. I could sort of put it around and say, well, I, sometimes I say to myself, good job, Sylvia. But that's not the same as thanking yourself. And so that the, 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 the act of thanking requires relationship. And it takes me out of myself and into connection with people that I'm grateful to. So I, you know, I, I thought um, I thought this morning uh, as Joe was driving me over, and uh, Joe often drives me, and I just get in the car, and you know, we're friends, and it's in, and she's coming that way, and it's normal. It's one of the things. Usually, Lynn is in the car with us, but I thought. You know, thank you. That's really terrific. You pick me up. I feel like a chariot, like Goldilocks, or, uh, or not, not Goldilocks, Cinderella. Cinderella. A chariot comes. Uh, 
And then I thought about that, after that, that this morning Lynn came a little bit later, but I was going to say thank you, Lynn, for the chair that you gave us that sits in my living room. I have a chair that Lynn and Henry Moody gave us two years ago when my husband was 80 years old, and it was the chair that was in their living room that had been lent to Spirit Rock when His Holiness the Dalai Lama was here and he needed a throne-like chair. So he sat in the throne for a week and then went back to the Moody's who gave it to Seymour for his 80th birthday, and it sits in my living room. And it's a brilliant thing to have the Dalai Lama's chair in your living room. So I think about it. I thought if I got up every morning and in my meditation, if I just thought about every person in my life, not just those that you know came to mind today, but I thought about, so how about this one? And how about that one? I thought, in what way can I say thank you to that person? If I, it, you know, when someone comes around the corner or steps into a room and it's either a person they say, wow, good, there they are, or oh, there's that person. You know how the mind does that? You know, when you meet somebody on the street or somewhere, it just does. You know, it's not all the same, everybody. Well, I'm going to take a break there and say, Joe Button is the person who told me, that there, I said, there's no such thing as a neutral person. You have a response to everybody. And Joe said, no, there are neutral people. She said, when I stand in front of an airliner full of 400 people and I say, everybody fasten your seatbelt, I feel everybody should put on the seatbelt the same as everybody else. I don't prefer for some people to put on the seatbelt <laughs> because we're all on the same ride and we all have to get there safely. And I think that's such a wonderful thing to remember because the fact is that we are all on the same spaceship, all of us, and we have to get there safely. And if I thank everybody equally and I wish everybody equally, I'll be in a good shape. I would be able to meet everyone in every moment as a friend. So I began to think this morning about exercises for th for. Um, for thanking. First of all, I was thinking about uh, that I hope thanking doesn't go out of style as our culture gets a little more casual. That when, when I thank, when you thank in the supermarket for someone bagging your stuff, you say, thank you very much. They say, no problem. Okay. If there's no problem, then you didn't thank for anything. I, I, I want to go, I want to have a one-person crusade or a many-person crusade. Someone says, thank you. You say, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Not it's nothing. It dissolves the thank you. So that's my... But everybody that I thank is out of me. And then I began to think in terms of my gratitude for finding myself here in this position uh, in the middle of the Dharma, uh, part of Spirit Rock. I was so pleased. Who Was it you who said about that your daughter did a project with Spirit Rock. I have such proprietary pleasure about it, like it was I who did it, and it wasn't me who did it. But that way here, that we're all doing this together. And how did I get here? That seems to be completely an accident, you know. It's a completely fortunate accident in my life. But I thought about teaching, thanking all of my teachers from all along. And I began to make a list of all of my teachers that in the in the Theravada tradition, uh, you have teachers. I think it was probably true when people studied in Asia, when people became monastics and um, joined a community, they probably had a teacher. 
Jack would say about himself, my principal teacher was Ajahn Chah, because he lived at his monastery for several years. He had other teachers as well, but he would think about that one as his main teacher. I joined the, the stream of practice when it was uh, in, the, in, in this country 35 years ago or so. And we always had teachers. We had lots of teachers on retreat, always more than one, which I, always, which I thought was wonderful because you heard the Dharma through many, through many people's way of expressing it. And so I would think of myself as having had uh, teachers from the beginning. Then I thought, well, maybe I and thinking about my teachers and what particular thing I learned from each of them. Um, before I met uh, the Dharma in 1977 in a formal way, I had been a yoga student and a yoga practitioner, Hatha Yoga, and actually a yoga teacher. And I think when I think about teachers that, that began to change my way of understanding the world, I go back to Maganya Baptiste, who was my yoga teacher. Maganya has perhaps a lot of fame now because her son, Baron Baptiste, is known internationally as teaching power yoga. I remember Baron Baptiste when he was three or four years old. And in his mother's yoga studio, and I, I started to study with Maganya somewhere in the late 1960s, and I'm particularly grateful for her. Well, for two things. First of all, I, the first class I took with Maganya. Is this interesting to hear about? I'll tell you the best thing I learned from everybody. <laughs> I uh, I took a class with Maganya in the Jewish Community Center in. Uh, uh, San Pedro Road uh, in the late 1960s. A friend of mine said, why don't you come to this class? It was a lunchtime class. It was in the room that they used for basketball games. It was completely not yoga looking or meditative looking. It had basketball hoops. They put mats on the floor. Uh, she played records. With, these are long enough ago. This is record players with moody music. And I took a class, and I remember being uh, 29 years old, maybe 30 years old, and feeling so pleased that I could do that class as if I expected at 29 that I was happy that I wasn't all stiff. But <laughs> 29, I was just starting to be a grown-up. I'm surprised when I think back, but I was so pleased about it. But I not only felt very good at the end of the class, and I would not have that moment said my life has changed, but I came back to the next class the, uh, the next week, and which required coming, designing my lunch hour, because I was working in Summerfell, to get out for that particular hour to go to the class. And then that class sequence ended, and Maganya taught in San Francisco uh, down on Powell Street, right up from the cable cars, so that while you were taking a class, cable cars going ding, 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 <laughs> right across from Macy's. And, and I had to organize my schedule to be able to run twice a week to that class and get there just at the right time. And when I look back on it years later, I thought to myself, I did not at any time articulate to myself this sentence, this woman has something that I don't have that I need, and so I have to become her student. 
But I must have felt that because I really went back and back and back. And when I thought about it by and by, I thought what she had was some capacity. It looked to me that she had some way of being in her body and being in her life that was quite comfortable to her. And somehow I got that on some intuitive level. And it said to me, I have to hang out with this woman. You know what else I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that she taught Hatha Yoga and not Aikido or long distance running, both of which I don't have the right body shape for. So it happened to work out. Yoga was something I could do. And so I, I became, uh, so I continued to go. And the Powell Street uh, studio did look unusual. It had uh, uh, high ceilings and draperies all along the walls and incense and candles and bells and gongs. And it was completely not my life as I knew it as a young activist, social worker, Marin mother. So it was a little bit out of my, you know, it was unusual. People looked unusual, they dressed unusually. They were much, much more hip than I was. And here's this unusual looking place. But I really liked Maganya, so I went probably twice a week. And uh, I'd come in early and people would be doing strange breathing exercises and you know, all kinds of funny stuff, which, which was always funny for me to do. I certainly wouldn't do it alone, but if I had the whole class is doing okay, I'd do it with them, but alone, it was weird. But I keep going, and I don't. And every time I'm there, I think to myself, "What am I doing here? This is so weird." But I keep on going. And she said things that were weird. She said, "Take your attention, and put as you're lying down in shavasana." She'd say, "Put your attention, say, in your abdomen. Let your attention be in your abdomen." That's already a strange sentence. But let your attention be in your abdomen. Let your attention surround your abdomen with orange light. That's a really weird thing to say. Or, whatever color light, and I think to myself, well, you know, I'm here, I might as well try to do that, what she's saying, and I would try to do that, and I would feel differently, and so by and by, it became less unusual, and for some years, I kept going back and forth, and back and forth, and then they moved to another place, and I moved there with them, and by and by, somebody asked me to teach yoga, and by and by, I was a yoga teacher here at the College of Marin, and at the same JCC, where I started, as a student 10 years previously. But Maganya, I'm really grateful for being the first person that I can remember consciously thinking, this person has some aspect of her being that I would like to have and I don't have, so I need to be with her. And she also, she's the first person I remember saying something like, put your attention, which was a very helpful thing. Uh, I mean, it is about what we're doing here is we're training attention here. And the whole, the whole of our practice is training attention. So that some years later, when I went off and went on my first uh, mindfulness retreat, the idea of put your attention was, an, I, was a familiar one. Somewhere in between, somewhere at that same time, before I tell you about my meditation teachers, I met, uh, I met my now long-term friend, uh, Mary Neal, who's a Dominican nun. And she was, teaching at, uh, she was teaching courses at Dominican College. She's a couple of years older than I am. And she and I have been, she's, she and I have been in a vowed relationship 
for more than 60, for more than 60 years. Just so that we somehow spoke to each other uh, on the level of people who understood about the, um, the demands and the privileges and the pleasure of being in a vowed relationship for a long time. And so, in, in, uh, surprisingly, since she is a nun, she's a Catholic nun, I'm a married Jewish woman, we had a lot of things in common that we have maintained a friendship, a close friendship over, still maintain a close friendship over, lo these many years. One of the things she said in the first class that I took with her, the first formal class, because she was one of the, uh, she became my friend as a result of taking a class with her, is she said, I'm not at all interested in your answers uh, in terms of exams. She said, I'm interested in your questions. I'm interested in what, what kind of investigation you bring to whatever I ask you about. And that was a very grown-up thing. I'd finished college long before I had a graduate degree, but no one ever asked me to think about the questions that I asked. She also said, speaking of spiritual experiences, she said, the thing about a spiritual experience is it's ephemeral. It's the same as any other experience. It comes and goes. And have the most amazing spiritual experience. It doesn't stay. She said, but what's important is that you're changed by it and that what's left is different. And I, I really thought about that a lot over all the years because in, in the course of lots of years of meditation practice and retreat practice, all kinds of things happen, and some of them really sublime and amazing. And they come and they go, and then they're not there anymore. But to say, what's different now? What's changed? What's... Does this, it, doesn't, it doesn't leave no trace. Something is different. And to be able to take really comfort to know we don't finish the trip. We don't get all done. We keep doing the trip forever and ever. Then I went on a Vipassana retreat, and uh, a mindfulness retreat, and uh, I started to meet my teachers who have been uh, uh, principally Jack Cornfield, Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg. I didn't meet Sharon for maybe oh, seven or eight years after I started. I started, and primarily I said, Jack and Joseph were always leading retreats. Maria Monroe was one of the teachers at that time. There's Maria right in the front next to Naomi here. We just changed the seats back and forth, Maria, you know, it's nothing. Uh, Maria, uh, I was at a... Uh, book launch party the other night, and uh, uh, Jacqueline Mandel, formerly Jacqueline Schwartz, was one of my teachers in the early days of my practice. One of the things I learned in this particular tradition that I am th very thankful for is that we've always thought of the teachings as the teacher, and that the people who were representative of the teachings were good friends of ours who were there to help us a little bit with instructions. So I really was, I, I really am glad, thank, I'll go as far as to say thankful, grateful, that uh, this particular tradition uh, really granted me that openness. I didn't have to pick a teacher and stay with that teacher and have a particular relationship with that teacher, that I could think of the teachings as the teacher and my own practice and the community as a support for my teachings 
for my learning, and that all my teachers would give me pointers along the way. So I thought about all of my main teachers and what any one of them said to me that I would take away as a, <clears throat> as a takeaway. That's a new line, you know. People go for a weekend for a workshop, and people say, what was the takeaway, you know? Uh, Early on, I had uh, an interview with, with my friend Jack, and I said, you know, I just see my personality so clearly. As I sit here day after day, and the stories that my mind keeps telling run through my mind. So I'm so embarrassed. I said, you know, I am such a show-off. I just always have to have the whole floor and the last word. And I talked way too much, and I'm such a know-it-all. I think I know everything. And I'm such a drama person. I make everything into such a big deal. So it's really embarrassing. I said, I'm not going to do that anymore. When I get back into my regular life, you see, I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to be really modest. I'm going to hold myself back. I'm not going to run in with so many opinions quite so soon. You see, it's going to be a whole different thing. It's just so flamboyant. Ugh, it's so embarrassing to see that. I'm not going to do it anymore. It's going to be wholly different. And he said, you know, I don't think so. He said, uh, this is quote unquote, I know it. He said, I don't think so. He said, I think we get issued one body and one personality for the trip. And that's been so helpful to me, you know. You know, whatever, whatever. One body and one personality. I don't have to become. I am like this. I don't know whether I was born this way or I am the only child of loquacious parents who talked everything and were interested in my opinion on everything. Who knows? But uh, I have grandchildren who talk a lot and I have grandchildren who are very modest and quiet and laid back and thoughtful. It's, maybe it's a gene. I have people like me. I, I don't know. Maybe it's a gene. But one body and one personality for the trip. And that was so helpful in terms of we are just all being ourselves. It was helpful to have lots of different kinds of teachers because I began to hear the Dharma coming through each of them in their tone of voice. Actually, for a while, I, I was hearing myself adopting uh, Joseph Goldstein's tone of voice. Joseph has an interesting cadence um, uh, in his voice. He stops sometimes in the middle of a sentence as if he's thinking about what he's going to say next, but sometimes he takes a pause, and you're not quite sure why he paused right then. But that's just the way he talks. It's a, it's a certain rhythm of speech. I love listening to him. He sounds very much like New York, so it's familiar. It's, but at one point, after I'd been a period of intensive meditation practice with him as my teacher, I was listening to myself teaching, and I was hearing myself pausing in the middle of a sentence after a word to think things over. And I thought, wait a minute. I don't talk like that. Joseph talks like that. This is not me. You know, I don't, you know, I, and I certainly, I don't mind, I'm happy to channel his insight, but I don't have to become like him. I don't have to become like anybody. It was a great help to have lots of teachers because everybody sounds different. I was going to tell you two things that he told me. One of them I remember. 
Oh, I remember telling you this just recently. It, it, I, I quoted him the other night at that book launch party, too. I remember saying to him one time, uh, and apropos of um, just being so touched by uh, how, as soon as you saw a flower bloom and rejoiced in how beautiful it looked, if I was doing walking on that path the next day, I would see that around the edges, at least two days later, that it's starting to really brown around the edges and start to die. And I'd watch the moon, and I'd watch the moon wax and become beautiful and big. And the next day, it's not so big, and it's smaller, and it starts to disappear. And I became quite overwhelmed for a period of time with the coming and going aspect of things. That's fantastic. Everyone speaks English. Hello. No, I'm so happy that you're here. Just let's, uh, why not pause the tape for a while so I can say hello to you. Or not pause the tape and then people will hear that we have, no, uh, I just forgot, they all speak English. So, good morning. Thank you for coming. No, not at all. Where are you from, and how long have you been in the United States? And yeah, we are here for three weeks on our overseas training. We are from a school of, um, called Biguni, where we teach our Buddhism in English. So all the classes are run in English. And we came to see an eyewitness and practice together with the uh, Americans. I'm very glad to hear that. Where in Korea is your school? Uh, it's just uh, south of Seoul. It's about an hour drive from Seoul. It's in the of Seoul. So are there mostly English-speaking foreigners who come? Uh, no, our school is specifically for the Piguni, the uh, monastic. Uh -huh. Uh-huh. So it, uh, tell me something more about the particular lineage. Is this more oh, Korean Zen? Korean Buddhism is, yeah, we, we mainly practice uh, Korean Zen. Yeah. Hadu, Hadu, yeah. Koan. Yeah. Um, but we do have uh, other practices too, like uh, chanting, uh, prostrations, um, mantra. Are most of the people who come Korean by birth, or they're from all over? Uh, mostly Koreans, but nowadays there are many foreigners residing in Korea. So they frequently visit temples, and uh, so there is a need for monastics who can explain about Buddhism or share their questions in English. So we are training our, our Pigunis to um, care of that. So when people come, do they ordain, or can they come for a period of practice without ordaining? To our school? Yeah. Oh, they are all fully ordained Pigunis. These women. Right. But when people come to study? Oh, to our school. Our school is specifically for monastics only. So these are all for so people who have made a decision to <coughs> ordain? They are already ordained. Ah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they are all um, Buddhist, uh, we call it nun or monk, whatever. 
So I have one more question. In, um, uh, in certain traditions, I have friends who have gone and ordained uh, Bhikkhu Bhikkhuni in the Thai forest tradition for some period of practice time. They've gone for a month or two months, and they, it's clear that they are ordaining for the purposes of practice and that they will disrobe after some period of time. Do people do that? Or no, this not in Korea. In our order, uh, we, vow, we make a vow to remain as a celibate uh, monastics for the rest of their lives. And well, of course, there are a few who goes back. <laughs> but um, uh, most of them, they remain as a, a celibate practitioner. How many people? How many? How many bikunis are there altogether living in your uh, center? In our temple, our school, seventeen. Um, it's two-year course. Uh, in our school, there's seventeen, and in our temple, there's more than twenty. No, um, fifteen bikunis, other than our students. So altogether, it's about thirty or 33 uh, Pigunis living together. And we have uh, several uh, lay people who take care of the administrative. So people do train for two years? Yes. And then what do they do? Then they... Uh, they go back to their temple or they can uh, choose many ways and there are many uh, options or opportunities for them to go and uh, work uh, with the, uh, their enhanced language skill, English skill. So they can choose many things to do at the monastic. Is it a new thing to have uh, women having a center? Um, for this school, yes, it's very new and very revolutionary. <laughs> 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 Which is um, very much male-oriented still. But uh, all the Choge Odo somehow had thought that uh, this kind of system would be better for Pigunis to start with rather than with people. So they are experimenting and it seems we are going quite well. Where have you been in the United States before us? Uh, we've been to New York area, New York City. Yes. So uh, we visited, um, we met the uh, Pigu Bodhi. Pigu Bodhi, yes. Uh -huh. Shambhala Center, uh, Billy Zendo. We've been to the uh, Zen Mount Monastery up in, um, where is it? Peskill, uh, Mountain Peskill. Yeah. And we've been other places also. Where will you go after us? Uh, so far, we've been to uh, San Francisco Zen Center this week and got Green Gulch. Mm -hmm. And uh, where have we been? Uh, we met uh, Norman Fisher mm -hmm. yesterday, um, Everyday Zen mm -hmm. Foundation, and um, tomorrow we are visiting um, Insight Meditation Center, but because tomorrow is um, you know, just before, yeah, tomorrow is Thanksgiving, right? So they are closed, but they only offer yoga class, so we want to see how the uh, American yoga is doing. <laughs> <laughs> Abayagiri. 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 Yeah. So um, we'll visit there and um, look around 
did influence during meditation and Dharma talks, and then we'll leave on Saturday. Uh, and go back to Korea? I wish you every blessing in your travels and in your teaching. Not at all. Not at all. Everybody, uh, all those people who feel lifted up in their hearts. <laughs> there you go. Let's see. Would you like to come and sit up in the front and look at the people? That's a good idea. <laughs> Please come and bring the chairs around over here and here. We should do something ritual while they're here. <laughs> well, we will. How about, how about, this is lesson planning on the fly. How about in the last 10 minutes we will do... Uh, uh, a Metta Meditation and Refuges and Precepts. How about that? There. Please, sit down. Oh, absolutely, take a picture, please. Can we take a picture of you? What's your name? My... You have a card. Yeah, we, <laughs> we made it for this purpose. <laughs> I don't have a card. <laughs> really? Because I'm... my name is not easy for the uh, Westerners. Yeah. I had to write it out. Chijung. 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 A little Means, bit. It's um, crystal clear wisdom. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Naomi. You have beautiful clothes. <laughs> Thank you. It's winter in Korea now. It's snowing, I heard. Do you make your robes or uh, are they manufactured? <laughs> no, I buy them. <laughs> we usually custom made. There's a place who, who uh, make our, you know, the, our uniform. What else do you want to ask? I mean, my, what, I was, what I was talking about, I will now summarize in one sentence. When I think about all of my teachers, but we were talking about Thanksgiving and the act of gratitude. I see. And I was recalling a list. I was actually giving my lineage, this teacher, this teacher, this teacher, this teacher, this teacher. And I was saying the one particular teaching that I learned from each one that really was the most important for me and the value of meeting many teachers in your life. That's the summary of the whole thing. Now, I'd like to include you and these women in that discussion. Did you have for, could you, each, did, do you all have the same teacher or different teachers? Um, in practice-wise? Yeah. In practice-wise, we may have all different teachers, you know. There are, sorry. We need the other hand mic. I can see a little closer. Well, in Korea, we have uh, many uh, great Zen masters. So if you are a Zen practitioner, you can choose which master that you want to go to and you know, get the teaching. And um, I personally have um, more than one. <laughs> uh, but uh, they are very famous in Korea. 
and their practice is very uh, deep and um, we think uh, he, he is enlightened, but it doesn't matter because, uh, you know, what I need is his teaching. It doesn't matter whether he is um, enlightened or not. So uh, I go to see majorly uh, two teachers. I was, I was in a discussion this very morning uh, on a conference call with Buddha Dharma magazine talking to uh, uh, people who taught in the Theravada tradition as I do and people that somebody in the Zen tradition, somebody in the Vajrayana tradition, and people were talking about the relationships that they had with teachers and uh, different relationships. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to hear that you have two main teachers. Right. So you don't really, it isn't that you don't have an allegiance to one teacher or another. In Korea, it's not like the Tibetan that uh, you can have as many teachers that you want, or it depending on your stage or your uh, preference, I guess, um, that uh, sometimes you feel this teacher is giving me more clear directions and teachings, and some phases you need some other teacher to go to. So, uh, you know, we don't necessarily to um, loyal, I'll call it, <laughs> loyal to one teacher, but you you can go to any teacher that uh, you want to visit or have teaching from. Can I can I can I ask you that same question? Do you have the same teachers? 스승이 누군가 수행하는 데 있어서 자기 스승이 있는지. Uh, I have a lot of a lot of teacher because uh, at the time I have experienced uh, vipassana in Myanmar. Uh, the place is Banditarama. It's very short time, but I have uh, I have uh, a teacher, very great teacher for in practice. Yes, in vipassana practice. Uh -huh. Practice teacher. And actually, I think <laughs> uh, it depends on situation. I can make many teachers because at the time I want to relax. Mm, uh, my mother or father or my friend is also uh, become my teacher. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, I don't have a, a specific teacher in our life. Just uh, it depends on situation. Sometimes trees uh, <laughs> become my teacher. <laughs> Skies <laughs> depend on my teacher. So uh, I don't have a, a specific teacher. Just She's the uh, most free-spirited uh, <laughs> 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 one. Um, she's a Buddhist painting artist, uh, and uh, she's seeking her another master degree in abroad. She's uh, waiting for the uh, admission from one of the f two of the famous uh, schools in art in England. So, uh, you know, as her free spirit <laughs> again. <laughs> Maybe one of the other women right. wants to say also. Right. Uh, nice to meet you. 
in my case, uh, usually in Korea, we say son uh, in That's Japanese, ten. zen. But in Korea, we say son is same as zen. And I got uh, koan, and we called it hwadu from the great master. But as you know, he is really old and not easy to meet. So uh, uh, whenever I have a question or some problem, I go to other teacher. He is kind of really, um, how can I say? It's not really common even in Korea. He is, he lives in small hermitage in the mountain and there's no electricity, no telephone. So he is really he has really simple and clear answer for me. So um, my koan is from the other master, but whenever I have some question, I go to that other teacher. Yeah, maybe she she wants. Okay. Maybe you should use. I'm happy to see you again. See you. <laughs> I have a, I have a great master in Korea. Uh, Twenty three years ago, I have a ordain. Uh, I, I I joined the Sangha uh, 23 years ago. So at that time, she gave my Dharma name, Po He, Po Jang in Korean. It means treasure house. It means Buddha nature within me. She encouraged to practice hardly and ensure um, become a Buddha. <laughs> yes. So also, I have a great master, Song Dam, Song Dam Jin Master, uh, in Korea, very famous and great master. So I am happy to uh, his uh, to be his uh, fellow follow. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Because because we have this tradition of uh, not uh, confined to one teacher, that you may find the uh, Korean monastics going abroad. Though we are within the Mahayana tradition, some of us uh, feel that you know I want to explore this practice in um, Theravadin Vipassana, mm -hmm. so they go over to Thailand or mostly Myanmar uh, international Zen centers. Mm -hmm. And some are even going for, that's me, <laughs> uh, uh, the, to the place where uh, Hindu uh, sage has been. Uh, that's uh, Ma Ramana Maharishi, if you are yeah. aware. So, because his teaching is pretty similar to what we, what I practice with the Hwadu, that's Kuan. Yeah. So, you know, seems to the others like the uh, Tibetan tradition they once they have their own master they only 
go to that master, but to us, we can get the teaching from it everywhere. So we are quite free-spirited <laughs> monastics. It also looks like you are uh, uh, relatively free to travel on your own. Are there restrictions about a nun traveling on her own? Or? Yes, that's true. Um, in a way, I really like this freedom. <laughs> I enjoy but then uh, perhaps um, it required the self-discipline you know uh, uh, whereas the other most other tradition especially for biguni are very much restricted you know one cannot go uh, travel alone or you must go out of the temple in pair or so. We, we do have that rules, but um, somehow I think my masters, they trust me. <laughs> they don't really tell me that you, you cannot go out alone. So we have a pretty much uh, privilege of having freedom, but yet we have a much responsibility to have uh, you know, self-discipline. So you could travel by yourself if you yes, went to, we if can. you if you went to uh uh, the place of Raman Maharshi, you could go by yes. yourself? Yes. And I, in fact, I went with my um, teacher, too. <laughs> uh -huh. So she enjoyed it. Yes? There. Go ahead. Uh, do you have any women teachers? Women teachers, of course. We do have senior sinims. Um, uh, but, you know, because still Korean Buddhism is male-oriented, that uh, famous ones are mostly men. But, yes, we do. Someone else? Was that uh. your question, Maria? <laughs> but in the next generation, you probably will be one of the senior teachers. At uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Are things changing? Or is, this a, is this a relatively new thing, the um, fact that you have this group of women? Yeah, well, uh, we've been, we had, we always had the um, biguni mm -hmm. in our tradition, but uh, because of the Confucius uh, influence for 500 years of uh, Joseon dynasty, that is, you know, just immediate dynasty before Republic of Korea, so um, women are pretty much oppressed and prejudiced. Um, but in reality, seems we've always had the real power. <laughs> So <laughs> what I'm saying is, you know, there is a saying that um, there, there's a word, um, woman can get, get away with anything when she can talk uh, over the pillow with her husband. So <laughs> husband may say, okay, I am the one who, you know, leading the family, but then the real power is with the, with the uh, wife. She has all the money, she has all the things <laughs> that she, you know, uh, uh, initiates. So it seems Korean woman had all the power, except that in the um, system, doesn't show that woman has the equal power. But sure, there are some prejudices um, in here and there, many, many areas. But nowadays, more and more women are working in um, manager, managerial positions, and you know now we have a woman president. Mm -hmm. So I think we are changing. <laughs> but, I, but the Sangha is the most conservative, so we are slowly changing. So in, in your tradition, uh, it's a monastic tradition, 
How much of uh, an ordinary day is spent in, uh, medita in silent meditation? How much time is spent studying? Is there more emphasis on uh, interior practice or on mm -hmm. studying koan or, or, or sutras or discussion? What is the emphasis between all of those? It all varies. Varies from where you are, you know. Uh, we have um, Zen centers, uh, women's Zen centers over 30, 40? Over 40 Zen centers throughout Korea, uh, small and big, you know. And for, woman means uh, for piguni only, monastics only. Um, and pigu's Zen centers are over 50, right? More, more Zen centers throughout Korea. And for those places, you sign up for their three-month retreat uh, <coughs> twice a year. That's for three months retreat in summer and in winter. So for those who intensely practicing Zen, they go to the Zen centers. And those who are um, working in the temples, they say uh, save some time early in the morning, that right after the uh, morning chanting, you go for one hour of sitting, which we do in our school because we have, you know, school classes for all day. So at four four o'clock, we get up and uh, go to the Dharma Hall for morning chanting. Then after, right after that, we go to the uh, one of the big classroom, which used to be the Zen center of the temple. Uh, we sit there for an hour in the morning. So for us, we are having one hour of um, meditation every day, um, except weekends. <laughs> we need to rest. <laughs> because, you know, learning foreign language is very difficult, and it requires lots of energy, and they get easily um, exhausted. So I made them not to go to the Dharma Hall even on weekends, so they can, you know, recharge themselves over the weekend and have some time for their own review and uh, other things. Or they may do practice in their, on their own. Is your community a silent community or do you talk to each other? Uh, we talk. Oh, in Zen centers? In Zen centers, mostly uh, silence is the uh, uh, general rule, but whenever you need to talk, for instance, you know, you need some communication for certain work or a, a post duties, well, you do it. Um, but we, lim we are trying not to, we try not to speak much unless it's necessary. But in a temple, of course, you know, we must talk. <laughs> we have to talk to the lay people who visit, you know, we have to run the uh, Dharma assembly, uh, we also have to do the rituals, so, you know, in a temple, it's uh, like a life, you know, you do everyday activities, and it requires talking. I would very much like, before we end, and it's almost time for us to end, I would very much like for you to, uh, you and uh, all these women, to lead us in, do you, do you chant refuges and precepts? Do yes. 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 That in English? Be, do you want to do it in English and in Korean? Do it in Korean and then Korean. do it in English. Yeah, okay, Korean. <laughs> Korean and English, we'll do it. Korean and, uh, no, Korean, because then it'll be good for us to hear it in Korean right, and English. Right, okay. 
Okay, wait a minute. I'll give somebody else this so we can spread around. Oh, well, all of you are doing together. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, do you want us to do the uh, three refugees? Yeah. At refuges and precepts you do? Or you just do refuges? Refugee, and when we finish up the, uh, the like, uh, Dharma talks, we usually do the four great vows. Okay. So, do you want us to do the four great vows? Dedication of merit? You, uh, you know, the sentient beings are numberless. Okay. That one. Yeah. All right. We'll do Korean first, then English. <laughs> so, okay. um, no, uh, chanting. We'll do hard sutra in Korean and then um, four grave vows in English. Okay. Mahabanya Bara Milta Shimgyong Kwanda Zebu Eng Shimbanya Bara Milta Sugyonunggegongdoksi Mumumyong Gugyongyolbansamsejeburi Sakso Sentient beings are numberless. We vow to save them. Desires are inexhaustible. We vow to end them. 
Dharma is boundless. We vow to master them. The Buddha's way is incomparable. We vow to attain it. What an honor and a pleasure it is to have you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you much. for having us. Sorry for the interruption. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> How many people, if they could get on a plane tomorrow and wake up in that, in that center, would do it? <laughs> I would, too. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much. It's Thank been a you. pleasure. <laughs> So I'll see you in January. Um, it's a month until we see each other. I'll see you, I hope, on January 1st. There is an all-day-long day long sitting here on January 1st. Where I'll be here, and we will renew vows, and we will do refuges and precepts and vows and talk about uh, uh, recommitment to... Uh, uh, ethics and uh, developing the paramis and we'll have a nice day together so I hope you'll come on January 1st you have to sign up for that so sign up for it and otherwise I'll see you most all the Monday all the Wednesdays in January and I wish you a very good holiday all of the holidays that you are doing and thank you very much for bringing the uh, the cakes and thank you very much for uh, supporting the turkey fund so, and come up and say hello to, can you meet the women individually if they, sure. come up and meet them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.